0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, JOY. Keep JOY on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to JOY.org.au. JOY, a diverse sound for a diverse community.
1: Welcome to The Informer, Australia's most diverse news and current affairs program. I'm your host, Gavin Hyde. On this week's show, we ask why data on LGBTQIA demographics isn't being collected in this year's census. And later, the state government has announced a plan to better protect and serve people with intersex variations in health and wellbeing services. We look at what these changes could be. But first tonight, there's been some peculiar occurrences happening at public question time in local councils around Melbourne with a recurring question regarding trans access to toilets coming from the same person. As it turns out, the individual isn't a ratepayer in any of these multiple local government areas. They're an elected councillor in Melton Council. Dom Hennequin has more.
2: Multiple Council Meetings. The Same Question.
3: The second question tonight comes from Moira Deeming. Moira Deeming?
4: Moira Deeming.
2: Across Melbourne over the last month, at least four local councils have taken questions from the public and come across the same one.
3: Under Victorian law, is it legal for local government councils to To provide... provide ...sex-based targeted services and facilities separately to gender identity-based targeted services and facilities? If not, not, why why not? not?
1: For example... Can we legally put signs on a set of public toilets declaring that one is for biological males, including males with an intersex condition, one is for biological females, including biological females with an intersex condition,
3: and one is for people with transgender identities of any biological sex? If not, why not? Um, Most
2: have answered pretty formally. One has answered passionately. And it was that last one that exposed the questioner as not just being an average member of the public, not even being a constituent of that council, but being an actual councillor themselves from a different part of Melbourne. Maura Deeming is a member of the Melton City Council, where she won a decisive victory last year campaigning against drag queen story times and trans access to public bathrooms. In the last month, she submitted the same question about gender-fluid bathrooms to the Darabin, Manningham, Knox and Moonee Valley City Councils. Most of the councils answered as if she were a ratepayer from the respective area, providing formal responses read by either the council's CEO or relevant councillor in charge of infrastructure.
0: I mean, it's a completely different area.
2: Suzanne Newton is a councillor from the city of Darabin.
0: So she's a councillor in Melton City Council. But the way that I read the question, she's indicating that she's a resident. You know, she's saying as a taxpayer, I want a response to this. And to me, the way it reads is if she's a resident.
2: Is it common for councillors from other wards to submit questions to other councils like that?
0: No, it's very rare and we get a lot of questions from the public about all sorts of issues but that one, it it just felt like a bit of a red flag for obvious reasons.
2: Council meetings are kind of bizarre things to watch. Extremely process driven, there's a lot of formality to them. So much so that most of the time it feels like the whole thing could be done via email, including taking questions from the public
0: they're really structured meetings. And so what happens is people submit questions. They can ask um, anything, I guess. And it is usually the mayor that, asks, that answers them.
2: The council typically audits questions from the public before the meeting starts.
0: It can be a really formal process. I do believe that occasionally, if things are particularly um, offensive, they might be knocked back.
2: There are also times when members of the public can ask questions live in the room.
0: And something that we've had at our council is we've had, they are residents, that have really yelled and screamed with their question. And so sometimes they've had to be, um, I guess, reprimanded for that.
2: However, it's rare that questions are ever knocked back. In Maura Deeming's case, she submitted the exact same question to multiple councils. She got similar responses from at least three of those councils, including Darabin.
3: Thanks for the questions, Moira. Both Federal Sex Discrimination Act 1984, as amended by the...
2: Darabin Council CEO Sue Wilkinson spelled out the council's strategy and referenced the Federal and State Sex Discrimination and Equal Opportunity Acts in her response.
0: And I was really proud that she was able to answer it really clearly and strongly based on our public toilet strategy that was made in 2015.
2: Knox City Council took a similar route, getting their Director of Infrastructure to reference the Council's Community Access and Equity Implementation Plan, as well as the Gender Equality Act. And at Manningham City Council, their Acting Director of City Planning and Community responded, referencing that Council's public toilet strategy. But it was Mooney Valley City Council's response that brought a shift in tone. Breaking with that council's usual practice and seeing Mayor Cam nation answer Deeming 's question himself
3: public question time is not an opportunity for councillors elected elsewhere to come into our chambers and use our council meeting as a platform to spread their homophobic or transphobic views
0: Moira Deeming, I think that it's absolutely right for him to make a clear statement on what he believes as mayor and what he believes as. The council's position, you know, like, I think it's absolutely justified.
2: A high school teacher from the Melton area, Maura Deeming campaigned last year on standing up for traditional, liberal and family values. Her campaign statement calls for resources to be spent wisely to focus on the whole community and states she'll never support rates being used to promote radical policies like banning Australia Day, drag queen story times for toddlers, or letting biological males who identify as female use female toilets and change rooms. We invited Councillor Deeming to be part of this program, but she declined. So, Councillor Morrow Deeming campaigned in Melton on exactly what she's asking about, really, and won. What does that say about uh, the issues that she campaigned on as there are obviously constituents in her area that, you know, may share her thinking? So
0: I looked up her result before um, and she was elected second in her ward uh, and she got a first preference of 21.49%. So that's quite a strong result. um, And I think it speaks to from the sounds of it. I don't know a lot about Melton, but it sounds like they're very different communities.
2: So why is this councillor from a different part of Melbourne submitting the same question to various councils across the city posing as a member of the public? And should the question she's asking be answered? Suzanne Newton again.
0: We haven't had any questions that I can think of like that from Darwin residents. And I think that we're known, like we're very public with our stances of being in support of the LGBTI community in all ways. But yes, look, I think people do have a right to ask questions about what council's doing and why, yes, Um, and I think it gives us a chance to talk about why we have the positions that we do.
2: Whether Mori Redeeming has been targeted in which councils she's sent this question to, or whether she's just sent it to every council in Melbourne, is yet to be seen. We'll have to stay across a few more council meetings to find that out. But what she has done is spread her agenda, at least for a moment, onto council meetings all over Melbourne, sending a reminder to trans and gender diverse people that there's still more work to be done.
0: When I see people punching down on people that are trans or gender diverse, I just think, get over yourself like this is about making people feel safe and welcome in their community and why would you not want to do that and if you want to talk about family values like there's all different kinds of families and there's all different ways of being and I just think what if her kid was like that what would she do then?
2: This is Dom Hennequin for The Informer.
1: The census occurs once every five years with the data collected by the Australian Bureau of Statistics being used not only by all levels of government in drafting public policy, but it's also drawn upon by advocacy groups and academic researchers. Questions regarding sexual orientation and gender identity will again be left out, despite a push from some in the public for them to be included. Ryan Sambell investigates why the questions were omitted and what we could be missing out on without the information such questions would provide.
4: The Australian Bureau of Statistics has decided not to include any questions about sexual orientation, gender identity or sex characteristics on the upcoming census. Since 2018, more than 450 submissions were made to the ABS to include new questions in this year's census, including questions about sexuality and gender. Of these submissions, only two new topics were included, past and current military service and long-term health conditions. In the 2021 Census Topics and Data Release Plan, the ABS says that while accurate information on sexuality is important, it was not included due to privacy concerns and participants misunderstanding the question. Participants in the census are already asked about their sex, but the ABS says gender was not included due to confusion about the question and concerns that any data collected would be of poor quality. A statement in the report says, quote, Engagement with the community also identified that there are sensitivities associated with this topic that could pose a risk to the census. All Australians are legally required to fill out the census every five years, so the data it gathers is the most accurate data available on Australia's population. Lisa Anise is the CEO of Diversity Council Australia, a leading non-profit research and advocacy organisation, and she says the census data is critical to understand the issues faced by LGBTQIA Australians.
5: I mean, the purpose of the census is to provide accurate information. So, if you don't know anything about a particular group of people, how can you design any kind of policy? I mean, this is the role of the government. So, the implications can be really significant. They can include um, creating inequities in, in health outcomes. It can include um, issues around the provision of education, other services through providers like Centrelink. Any any of the any of the policy. The, the policy framework matters. There's a subtle kind of exclusion of people who don't see themselves included in things. Um, so it, it will infiltrate into everything.
4: Ms. Anise says not asking these questions can have potentially wide ranging effects on LGBTQIA communities.
5: There will be a gap in information um, that supports the planning, administration, and policy development activities of the government and even of business owners and other owners, other users of census data. You know, if we don't capture information on all groups, there will be program gaps, there will be gaps in health services, health inequities, and a, a general failure to grasp the true diversity um, of Australia.
4: The Australian Bureau of Statistics acknowledges that there is no reliable alternative to census data on LGBTQIA people. Organisations such as the DCA try to fill in the gap, but this isn't a perfect solution.
5: Every time we do a research project, there's research projects that we can't do um, because, you know, we're limited by our own resources. But we use census information. Um, we use the census to benchmark our own research. So it's um, we won't be able to, say, for example, look at the workplace and look at how many... People who are in the workplace identify as gender diverse or, or who are part of the LGBTIQ group, we won't be able to measure that against any national census data to say this is, you know, we just can't do
4: it. Ms. Anise says these are not difficult questions to ask, and at least with regard to gender, would require simply expanding the available responses. She says the reason these questions won't be asked might have a political reason rather than a practical one.
5: The conversation around sexual identity and gender identity and sexual orientation um, has become highly political. This is not a political issue and it's very unfortunate that it has been. It is often discussed in political terms. I imagine that there may be opposition from some individuals um, to the collection of this data because, you know, if you don't know about who's in your population, um, then you can live safely in the knowledge that the sort of progress that is being championed by LGBTIQ plus groups, you can dismiss it.
4: To ensure that the next census in 2026 does capture data about sexual and gender minority Australians, Ms Anise says long-term action is required.
5: If we think that this is an issue worth fighting for, I think we need to have some kind of campaign or some kind of targeted approach for the next census. I think if members of the general community recognise the real impact of what might happen, say to health services or education services or social services, including housing and, and things like that, then you might find a lot of allies would also get behind it.
4: This is Brian Samble for The Informer.
1: And finally tonight, Martin Foley, the State Minister for Health and Equality, has set out the government's future direction for policies for Victorians with intersex variations. The plan aims to improve the health and well-being outcomes of the intersex community. James Pembroke has more details.
6: Every five years, the United Nations Human Rights Council reviews the human rights record of all UN member states. The Council presents a series of recommendations for states in what is called the Universal Periodic Review. Out of the 344 recommendations the Council presented to Australia in January of this year, the Australian Government accepted 177. One of the recommendations it did not accept was to advance reforms in states of Australia where it is still legal to perform forced and coercive medical interventions that modify sex variations. At the moment, that includes every state and territory of Australia. Currently, it is legal across the country to perform medical interventions on people with intersex variations without their informed consent, regardless of whether there is a medical need for the intervention. This is despite the fact that bodily integrity is enshrined in the Australian Bill of Rights. But Australia is not alone in lacking laws that protect the rights of intersex people. It was only in 2015 that Malta became the first country in the world to legislate against non-consensual cosmetic interventions. Since then, only a small handful of countries have moved to pass similar laws. Although it should be noted that some jurisdictions like California in the United States have implemented policy guidelines. Advocates have been calling for change in this space for decades. However, in the last few years, there has been a real push for change internationally. In Australia, Victoria and the ACT are leading the way on this issue. Earlier this month, the Victorian government announced a series of healthcare reforms for the intersex community, including a prohibition on deferrable medical interventions that modify a person's sex characteristics without consent. Advocates have heralded the reforms as a major step towards recognition of the rights of intersex people to self-determination and bodily integrity.
5: Huge! <laughs> this is absolutely huge, and I'd just like to congratulate and um, all of the the incredible people. Um, Morgan Carpenter, Tony Briffer, many others and the organisations for which they work for, for the years of advocacy work um, that's gone into being able to make these changes and also the support now from the Victorian government um, and the, the advisory groups that the government set up to listen to the community um, about their bodies and their families and the way in which they want to be in the world. Um, and so these changes have been, um, yeah, incredible.
6: That was General Manager at Drummond Street Services, Gemma Mead. Agli Zavros Orr had their gonads removed at the age of 18 due to an intersex variation they were born with known as 46XY Swire. For them, it was a lengthy and confusing process and they were provided with very little information. They have been advocating for the rights of intersex people for years and also welcomed the reforms.
3: It's significant in that It doesn't redress uh, the past and what's happened, but it will um, at least help me sleep better at nights. But it will help make sure that what's happened in the past doesn't happen again.
6: At this stage, the Victorian reforms are still in the consultation phase, so several issues still need to be worked out. The ACT announced a similar plan in October 2019 and is still in consultation with advocacy organisations and various stakeholders. In Victoria, the plan is for an oversight panel to be established that will ensure compliance with the prohibition. The Victorian Government has commissioned Equality Australia to provide legal advice and consult with the community. They propose that the panel consist of legal and health professionals. Three community members, including people with innate variations of sex characteristics, and one family member of a person with innate sex characteristics, as well as a bioethicist and human rights or children's rights expert. The panel would seek to promote the self-determination of intersex individuals and would make decisions about whether a person is able to make an informed decision about a medical intervention. The proposal does not specify the age at which a person is able to give consent, so the person could be a young child. However, Ghassan Kasasia, the legal director at Equality Australia, says the laws need to be intentionally flexible.
7: How can the laws be crafted to ensure that we do maximise the ability for people to make a decision where they're able to and we prevent decisions being made for them um, so that they can make them? For themselves when they're able to when they're older usually so while it doesn't have a particular age it recognizes that depending on the gravity of the treatment so if we're talking surgery on one end or a reversible treatment like i mean i'll just give you a a general example which is not um specific here but say you're asking someone to consent to whether they take a Panadol or whether they undergo surgery, obviously the consequences and the risks associated with those two types of treatment, both of which medical treatment, um, it may be that a child who is 12 has an ability to consent to the Panadol but not to the surgery. And so the laws don't look at age per se. They look at whether the person really understands the consequences of what they're being asked to decide.
6: Agley would like to see the reforms expanded across the country and more political leadership from both sides of the political spectrum as well as more advocacy from allies. But they are enthusiastic about the new reforms in Victoria and believe that real change is underway.
3: I think I think this is the time for change and I think we're feeling that in Victoria. I know in the spaces that I'm um, engaged with, with the fact that we've been uh, partnering with Equality Australia That you know, um, that we're getting our allies are coming forward, um, our allies are amplifying our voices, and in that way, not just being us talking about it, but there's an understanding that this is of importance for the whole of the community, regardless of background, language, culture, ethnicity, um, class, race, um, that this is important. And so, you know, I think, I think we've just come to an awareness now. And so this is now the time to, to actually take action.
6: Equality Australia is calling on people with lived experience, family members and clinicians to get involved in consultations about the reforms in Victoria. If you would like to have your say, you can go to equalityaustralia.org.au forward slash intersects. The consultations are running until the end of the month. I'm James Pembroke, reporting for The Informer.
1: As always, if you have any comments, feedback or story ideas, please get in touch with us. You can email us through theinformer at joy.org.au or on our Facebook and Twitter. And remember, you can listen back to past episodes whenever you like. Just search The Informer, Joy 94.9, on your podcast app. See you next week. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.